How does one follow a presentation like that? that I mean, that is so moving. And, it, it, and it's so powerful. Visual things can be just so powerful. And it, and it was good to see friends that we've known for years that are serving the Lord there and, and see them and excited about what the Lord is doing. And it's, it's amazing to see the work that God is at doing now in the, in the Middle East. And it, it really was a moving presentation. Thankful for my brother Derek as, as well, sharing, Dirk as well, sharing with us about uh, the work that he has been involved in. I'm looking forward tomorrow to seeing a presentation of that work and being able to see some of the things that they have been involved in over the years. Turn in your Bibles, please, this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How does one define the basis or the foundation for missions at the beginning of the 21st century? How does one define the basis or foundation for missions at the beginning of the 21st century? Now, I suppose there are different ways one could approach this. One could approach the the topic of, of missions from different angles. A missiologist would perhaps go back and begin to look at all the trends that have happened over the course of the last centuries. A missiologist may go back and and look at the cultures that were involved and how those cultures interacted. It is a a division of what we might call practical theology where they can go back and study um, the practical aspects of missionary work. They would study anthropology. They would study their theology. And then see how these things are working in the cultures that surround us. The many, many different cultures. They've studied the facts and the statistics of what what has worked and what has not worked over the years. Drawing conclusions from those things. You may be able to explain the impact of culture on the way we approach missions. He may be able to analyze the data in his own personal experience to provide much helpful information that will guide us in the work. And that is one way in which we can approach a study of the basics and the foundations of mission for our current mission ventures. I've enjoyed reading and listening to Frank Gibini over the years at Emmaus, now in Dubuque. And I have benefited from reading his works, developed by such such great men as he is. It's very profitable stuff. But another way to understand the basis and foundation for missions and how they function is to observe the way missionaries worked as described in the biblical texts. What did the biblical texts give us as information as to how missionaries function. And are those things still practical and useful for us today as we go out on missions, as we are called to missions? Why are you here tonight? Dirk asked the same question. Why are you here tonight? 
I would say that you're here tonight, not simply just because it was another gospel meeting or not because it was just another uh, missionary class. I believe most of you in this room or perhaps all of you in this room are here because you love the Lord Jesus. You're in love with the Savior and you have a passion for the things of God. And you want to see that passion being passed down to the next generation. And you want to see that passion for the things of God passed down to your children. And you also have a passion for His work in different parts of the world. What He is doing in different parts of the world. How He is bringing the gospel message in different lands, with different cultures, and different ideas. To see what we just saw. To see the amazing way in which God is working through tragic circumstances to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of Christ. These are the things that drive us, aren't they? You're here tonight because you love the Lord. You're here tonight because you have a passion for Christ. You're here tonight because you want to learn how you can pray more effectively for the things of God. You're here today because you want to support missions around the world. You're here because God has placed in your heart a desire for the things of God. Is that why you're here tonight? That's why you're here. Because you have a desire for the things of God. You have a desire to be on the front line. And I pray that also tonight, there are some among us who have a desire burning within their soul tonight to be one of those who goes. To be one of those who goes to the Middle East. To be one who goes to another country in this world in order to share the gospel. And it's been a desire that has been on your heart. It's been burning in your heart. A desire to serve the Lord. And I pray that there's one or more among you tonight with that desire. And I pray that there's leadership here tonight. Elders within local assemblies that have a passion for the Savior as well, who have a passion to send them out. Not hold them in. The desire too often in in assemblies nowadays is to hold the talent with us. You get a man, you get a woman, you get a couple who's on fire for the things of the Lord. And they're stirring up the assembly. And the assembly enjoys having them around. But their desire is to go overseas and serve the Lord. Don't hold them here. Let them go. If it's what the Lord has called them to do. Get behind them. Support them. Train them up. Train them up here. Train them up here in the assembly of God's people. As Dirk was saying earlier, giving them the opportunity. Giving them the opportunity to exercise gift. To exercise ability that they might have in preaching the things of God. Train them up. Prepare them. Don't thrust them out unprepared. Prepare them. So that when they get to the field, they can be useful in the hands of God. Train them up and send them out. Don't train them up and hold on to them for years and years and years and years. 
We have a responsibility not only to ourselves, not only to our local assemblies, we have a responsibility to the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That we would all shoulder the cross together. That we'd all shoulder it together. The cross that we've been asked to bear. That we individually would take our cross and follow him. And together help each other to bear the burden. As we each individually walk this road toward heaven. We see in the apostles and in the narratives concerning their work. And the things they write, we see that passion for Christ. We see that passion for the things of God. A passion for the Savior. And they sacrifice much in order to serve Him. What are you willing to sacrifice to serve Him? What are you willing to give to serve Him? There's a cost. Do we bear our own costs? passion for the Savior. And for those apostles in those early days, what the world may have counted as gain, they counted as loss, as rubbish, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to do the same? Do we bear our crosses? Have we taken up our cross and followed Him? It is in dying with Him that we are raised in newness of life. And as we read through the the accounts in the book of Acts, and we read the epistles, we can observe the way that the New Testament men and women approach their missionary work. Their obedience to the Great Commission. And there we can observe the patterns for our missionary work as believers. The Word of God demonstrates to us or or gives us templates and blueprints, as it were, to show us how it's done. And these same principles, I would submit to you, these same principles are still viable in the 21st century. We can look at the book of Acts. We can go to chapter 17 in the book of Acts and we can see how Paul shared the gospel with those who were Biblically illiterate. Had no comprehension. No understanding of biblical truth. Had no background in the Old Testament. Had no understanding of the things of the Old Testament. And he could come along and take the gospel and share it with those people in Athens. And we can look at that principle. And we can remember something else. We can remember... That we live today in the 21st century here in this country among a young generation, a generation that's coming up, that are going through the universities today, that are coming out of the universities biblically illiterate. They no longer know the basic truths of the Word of God. They no longer have the basic stories of the Word of God. They do not understand the Scripture. What was common three or four decades ago, is no longer true in the country in which we live. And so the lessons of Acts 17 become very important to us 
as we're seeking to reach out to a lost generation of men and women in our own culture who do not know the Word of God, do not understand sin, do not understand the holiness of God and the wrath of God. Those things are fairy tales to them. The world has become secularized so strongly. Up north, I was sharing this the other night, up north in, in the areas where we are, up in Connecticut and in, 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 uh, that New England area, it is so secularized now And you know that secularization doesn't mean that God is not there. It means they pushed him out. They pushed him to the periphery. He's there to to please them, to give them satisfaction and help when they want him. That's why we that's why you hear when you have a school shooting. Immediately after the school shooting, they're praying to God. Let's pray to God now. We need him now. We need Him now to comfort us. We need Him now. But where were they the day before? This is not what I wanted to speak about tonight. If we look at the examples in the New Testament, in the book of Acts in particular, we see how in Acts chapter 17, one can approach those who have a worldview that is so very different than the one we possess in this room. Their worldview is so very different than the one we have. New Tribe's mission, by the way, has grasped that idea and began to, with their chronological approach to teaching the gospel, which has been quite effective in areas where there's no understanding of the Bible. You start at the beginning because they don't even understand who God is. They must understand, first of all, that He... They must understand, first of all, among all things, that He is their Creator. And as their Creator, if they will accept that, if they accept the existence of God and accept the, the fact that He created them, now they have a responsibility to that one who created them. If they have no concept that God even exists, no concept that He created them, no concept of God that He's pushed them to this periphery so far that He just becomes a therapeutic God that they can call on when they need, need to feel good, we need to draw them back. We need to draw them back to an understanding. And in the culture we live in has become so pluralistic religiously that it has reshaped the way we must approach evangelism. Now we can examine chapter 13 of Acts moving along quite rapidly, aren't we? I haven't even read the scripture yet. You could look at chapter 13 of the book of Acts and then you can get a perfect, perfect example from the Word of God on how you bring the Word of God, how you teach the Word of God to those who already have a foundation in Scripture, who already know something about the Word of God. You go into the, into the church at Antioch and Pisidia and you see the way Paul delivers the message there. It's very different from what he does in, in Acts 17, isn't it? Very different because he has a foundation on which to build. And we can use those examples as well. We can examine the way that Paul 
during his missionary journeys, brought the gospel to those with a foundation. We can look at 2 Corinthians 5 and see it described as an ambassadorship to which we have been entrusted to view our position and responsibility as ambassadors for Christ. We can look at the commission that the Lord laid out for his disciples and discover how those things relate to us in the 21st century. Are the commands still the same commands? And if they are, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. We can explore the missionary journeys of Paul and his companions to see how they approached each situation. We can see in Aquila and Priscilla bringing along a great preacher in Apollos. We can see the failures of John Mark and restoration to new missionary ventures. And watch Barnabas take him and encourage him to the point he became useful in the ministry. And over the course of this weekend, we may have a chance to look at one or two of those descriptions. Now, I was told I had till 9.15, but I don't think I got here. I think I only got here with like 15 minutes. So we're going we're gonna to move a little bit beyond that. Now, 1 Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here is one place where we can find a basis and foundation for missions. Therefore, since we have this ministry, and of course the therefore forces you to go back into the previous chapter. And for sake of time, I only, I'm going to go to focus on one verse in chapter 3. If we had more time, we could expand on that. We could look at, at what he is, is speaking about. How this ministry that they have is a ministry that far excels the ministry of the old covenant. The new covenant that has come in. That is sealed in the blood of Christ. The new truth concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how it is so much more glorious than the old. in the fact that it, it's so much more glorious that the other doesn't even seem to have any glory at all by comparison. But I want to concentrate just on this one little verse for time's sake. And it's verse 5 of chapter 3. And then we'll get back to chapter 4. And we're going to run out of time real quick. It says this in chapter 3 verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Where? Does the adequacy come? Where does the adequacy come from as we share the gospel of Christ? As we teach the word of God? Where does it come from? Does it come from our high education? There's nothing wrong with high education, is there? Does it come from our seminary training? Seminary training is a very helpful thing, isn't it? Does it come from having lots of letters behind your name or in front of your name? Where does our adequacy come from? It comes from Him and Him alone. It doesn't come from 
the skill of your presentation. It doesn't come from the skill of your articulation. It comes from the Lord Himself. He is the one that makes us adequate. He is the one that makes us sufficient to be able to do the work that He's called us to do. You believe that, right? When we begin to work it out our own selves, when we begin to try and do the work in our own power, when the carnality begins to take over in our lives, and we begin to preach and we begin to teach in the carnality of our own flesh, and not yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, what is the effect? What is the value? It must be led and moved by His Spirit. Our adequacy is from Him and Him alone. And as soon as we begin to think that we are so good at what we do, we'll find out how poor we are at what we do. So if we believe that our adequacy comes from Him, if we believe that our sufficiency is found in Him, do we live that out and do we practice that day by day? Do we practice it in our study? Do we practice it in our message preparation? Are we yielding ourselves to God day by day by day as we do these things in preparation to speak, in preparation to teach, in preparation to uh, teach your Sunday school class? Do we, are, are we, uh, do we get caught in our little, our little traps of how we do things and we don't even, even take the time to pray and yield it to the Lord? And, and yield ourselves to His Spirit that He might teach us what He wants us to teach them? If we've gotten to that point, we need to reevaluate where we are. And we need to get back to recognizing that our sufficiency, our adequacy is in Him and in Him alone. Now's the time for an amen. amen. Our sufficiency, our adequacy is found only in Him. Let's get that right. Let's get that right. If you're looking to serve the Lord overseas and you have a desire in your heart to serve the Lord overseas and you want to get involved in missions, make sure you've got this Make, there, make sure you've got this. It's not me. It's not my ability. It's not my knowledge. It's not my gift. It's Him. And Him alone. I told you you were here because you have a passion for Him. And because you love Him. Let's get back into chapter 4 now. Therefore, since we have this ministry, you know, it's funny how we do this. Now, I know this is something that's a kind of a sideline thing, and I probably shouldn't do it because I'm, I don't have enough time as it is. You notice how when we read the Word of God so often, we read it piecemeal. You know, we really do. We read it piecemeal. 
you read, and, and you're going through a Bible reading program, and that's great, you know, and I have nothing against any of this kind of thing. And, uh, but you're reading through, you're reading chapter 3 yesterday. Then you read chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians today. And when you read chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, you've already forgotten what's in chapter 3. Or you are so familiar with what you read in chapter 3 that you just really didn't even read it again. And, and we need to be able to, and we, and we do this, we, we have this way in which we read where things are piecemeal. And there's nothing wrong with reading it by section. But take the time sometime to just sit down and read it through in one sitting. Just read all of 1 Corinthians in one sitting. All of 2 Corinthians at another time. And you'll get the thought flow that flows through the entire book. So that you don't have to, when you get to the therefore in chapter 4, go back into chapter 3 to remember what it was there for. You already know because you just read it. And the thought flow flows right through. And you understand now, when you get into chapter 4, what he's talking about. We have a ministry. And it's a glorious ministry. I remember years ago, my wife's looking at me and saying, oh boy, here he goes. I remember years ago, preaching a message on the gospel of Christ. And one of the things I said, and it was to a group similar to this, and this was back in the late 90s, I think. I said to them, I've never said it since, We are not delivering the plague to men and women when we give them the gospel. We're not giving them something that is not of unestimable value. We're not preaching something to them that is going to in any way harm them. What we're giving them is the gospel, the good news of Christ that can give them Life from the dead. Why are we so afraid sometimes? We're not, we're not giving them the plague. We're not sharing the plague with them. We're sharing good news. Oh, we live in a culture where it's not received so well. We live in a culture where it's not listened to so much anymore. It's not, it's not received like it once was. Oh, but the Spirit of God still is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God still, still speaks to hearts just as He always did. You agree with that, don't you? And it's His work to convict the soul and convict the heart of the need of a Savior. Missions. Missions. Across the street. Downtown. Across the globe. And the message is the same. Oh, yeah. Oftentimes, and probably Derek has had the same question. I said, well, what do you do? What do you do when you're overseas? I do the exact same thing I do here, only in a different language and a different culture. We're bringing the truth of the Word of God. Since we have this ministry, we have received mercy We have grace given to us from God. Mercy. Who needs mercy? Who needs mercy? Those who are are falling short. 
The adequacy is not mine. I fall short. But when I fall short, there is mercy. There is mercy. And because there is mercy, I don't lose heart. Do you lose heart? Do you lose heart when you go about sharing the Gospel and no one, no one responds? Good friends, down on Romblon Island in the Philippines, been there for several years now, sharing the Gospel, sharing the good news, yet not one has yet made a profession of faith in Christ. Easy to lose heart. Oh, maybe it's my presentation. Maybe it's the way I said. No, it's not. Keep on keeping on and let the Lord do the work. Keep on sharing the message. Let the Lord do the work. Do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness or handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Men and women of integrity. We desperately need men and women of integrity. Not just ones who desire to do something. Not just ones who want to, you know, have a good living by going overseas and maybe, you know, serving the Lord somewhere. But men and women who have integrity in their hearts. They're not doing it for gain. Personal gain. They're not doing it for personal gain. Believe me, you're not going to get wealthy being a missionary. You don't do it for personal gain. Nor do you do it for personal prestige. Why do we do it? I'll end, and I didn't get anywhere near where I wanted to, but I'm sorry for that. I'll end where I began. Because we love the Savior. That's why we do what we do. Because we love the Master. That's why we do what we do. Who will go? Who will go? I'm so excited. I've got to tell you. I'm so excited. When I up north and went in a couple of the missionary classes that I've been to there more recently that CMML puts on at Kenilworth, that there are many, many young men and women couples who are now on fire for the things of God. It's like we missed a whole generation. I remember going there in the in the late 80s and all you would see was a bunch of white-haired people sitting there. Nothing wrong with white-haired people. I mean, they're really <laughs> kind of nice looking. You know? But today it's changed. And there's a new passion to serve the Lord. Oh, may that passion be yours. May it be what is burning in your soul tonight. And that's why you're here. Because you'll love Him. And you want to serve Him. You want to give your life to Him. Father, we give you thanks. You are a mighty God. And we give you praise and we give you adoration because you are worthy. Oh, Father, 
We pray for each one of our hearts here tonight. Each one of us. We are all in different places. We are all in different circumstances. We are all coming from even different backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites us. We love your son. And we love you. And we want to serve you. Rekindle the passion within our hearts. It may be for your glory and the glorification of thy Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.